Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. From the territories to Titan Towers to TNA and all points in between, he's seen and done it all. And now he's here to share the real story behind wrestling's biggest moments, controversies, and characters. The MLW Radio Network presents Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the fastest-growing wrestling podcast on the internet. It's something to wrestle with, with Bruce Pritchard right here on MLW Radio. What's going on, Bruce? How are you? Man, that's cray-cray. I gotta love our audience, man. It's, uh, as you said, the fastest-growing podcast out there today, and I'm excited and ready to have some fun. A lot of people, not a lot of people, a few people uh, were upset with Three your- people. Yeah. Okay. So apologies to my good friend, Mark James, who actually helped write some books with, uh, Mr. Jerry Jarrett. I've never had a crossword with Jerry. You, however, don't like him very much. You know, you know, so I'm curious, why does, why does Jerry like walnuts in his chicken salad? Yeah. I like walnuts in my chicken salad. It just was kind of the absurdity. What? No, I'm not going to let you get away. Tell us what's in the chicken salad. Come on. People want to know. Well, you know, you take the what well, you know, and the, the nut, and you chop it up, and then you get the the grapes, and then you get some apples, and you chop what well, you know, and then you, look, it wasn't what he put in the chicken salad. That actually was a decent recipe for chicken salad, but when you're telling a chef how to make the soup, it's uh, a little ridiculous. But no, I get it. Well, let's talk about uh, something equally ridiculous. I forgot to mention the neck brace. We talked about the steroid trial last week, and somehow I didn't even remember the neck brace until I started searching for pictures uh, to post on our Twitter account. I need you to clear this up. For years and years, you know, the rumors and innuendo, as you would say, have led to me led me to believe it was almost like a comical 1980s, you know, bad B movie where Vince is wearing the neck brace for sympathy and you were telling me earlier today because you know curiosity killed the cat i just couldn't wait that wasn't necessarily the case 
Well, no, it was simply timing. And Vince needed the neck fusion surgery. And Vince had to be home in Connecticut to prepare for the, the trial and what have you. And it was simply a timing issue. He had time that he could actually have the neck surgery. And he had it done. You know, And Vince isn't one to sit around and put his feet up at home <laughs> and recoup, he's he's going to be out there. He hated wearing the neck brace, but he did wear the neck brace. Coincidentally, hey, if it worked for sympathy, great. So um, you were telling me a story earlier that he actually got in a little heat with his wife uh, at the celebratory dinner after. Well, yeah, he took the neck brace off uh, for a period of time. And like I said, he really hated wearing the neck brace. And he just wasn't supposed to take it off because he had had this surgery. And it's just very sensitive the way they fuse the bones in the neck. And any kind of jarring could undo everything that he did. And it was just not a good idea not to wear the neck brace. So, you know, the other thing that everybody wants to talk about is um, the idea that seemingly last week, I don't remember that. I don't recall on so many details, but you remember exactly where the party was and what Vince was drinking. Well, Vince drank the same thing all the time. That's not a tough question. The other thing is, is that that was something I was a part of. I was there. I wasn't, uh, at the trial every single day. I didn't study, but, but you personally injected Vince McMahon with steroids, right? Oh my God. I'm sure there are plenty of people that probably think that. No, I, I never injected anyone with steroids. Um, that re- little refrigerator that we talked about last week in Vince's You mean the office. one that I always got my Diet Cokes out of and never had to, yeah. It, no, you didn't push the steroid needles out of the way to get to the Diet Cokes? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. No, I, I didn't. You do remember not doing that? I definitely do remember not doing that. Okay. I, I remember not seeing any drugs or anything else in there. But again, you know... The way that I remember things and what I'm sharing on this podcast is simply how things affected me. Right. I'm telling you a story from my perspective, not from someone else's perspective or how someone else thought about it or what someone else thinks that someone else thought. I'm simply giving you what I remember, how I felt, how these incidences in time. Is that a word? Incidences? It is now. Incidents in time affected me how I remember them, what I remember, and and how it affected me. That That's it. That's simply what this podcast, Something to Wrestle, is all about. My feelings, my viewpoints. If you like them, cool. If you don't like them, but you enjoy listening to it and complaining to me on uh, Twitter and what have you, awesome. I really appreciate you listening. I, I truly do, because it flabbergasts me that uh, that many people are interested, and I love doing it, and it's a lot of fun. Even I, I even like talking to you sometimes. Every now and again. Every now and again. So uh, here's something that I forgot to ask last week. And, you know, we can't really talk about the steroid trial and all that happened in it without me missing this. And I can't, I'm embarrassed that I missed it. Because uh, it's kind of my go-to. Was the steroid trial a rib? <laughs> Go to ProWrestlingTees.com and you can get a shirt. I should have put that on there, but no, not a rib. Those shirts are available, so soon you're going to be able to be sporting one of those. I like that. Uh, so the other question that everybody had from last week that we need to touch on before we get to this week's topic is the whole Jerry Jarrett thing. We just kind of glossed over it, but if Jerry Jarrett wasn't the contingency plan, he wasn't the backup plan in case Vince did have to do some time, who was going to run the company? 
the same people that always ran the company. Look, Vince was going away to prison if he was convicted guilty. All right. Or maybe not, you know, maybe they, I, maybe he wouldn't have gone. I don't know, but he wasn't dying. Okay. Right. So he was still probably going to have his input going on, but you had Linda McMahon in place, the president of the company, and you had different department heads that were running their various parts of the company all along. And like I said, you know, Vince wasn't dying. He might have had to go away for a little while. And I'm sure that even behind bars, that Vince's influence would have been felt. Now, you're saying that like he's a mob boss, like he's John Gotti right there. No, I'm saying that in that as long as Vince McMahon is breathing in and breathing out, that his influence and his fingerprints will be on the product. So do you think, uh, I mean, are you suggesting that while Vince was in prison, he'd be making... He wasn't in prison. Okay, we're saying hypothetically. Okay, if well, he would, hypothetically, you can you can do a lot of things, but this why the name of the show is something to wrestle with. So, so let's wrestle with it. Go okay. ahead. Thank God. All right, he's in prison. Is he going to make phone calls about booking decisions? Do you imagine? Are you guys going to like sneak in sketch like instead of sneaking in a shank? Or I, a ma- I, ima- I imagine Pat and I probably would have had to make frequent visits. <laughs> <laughs> to the prison with our books taking turns and going in and having your big ledgers yes. and, and maybe some drawings of gold dust right. for him to approve well we'd have to bring the box of gimmicks and the box of gimmicks the box of gimmicks in you know smuggle that in and say okay this is this guy well maybe you know if if it wasn't visitation day the fink could have pulled from the box of gimmicks sure okay why not uh would vince have released a rap album if he went to prison what the hell i think that would have he had wrestling albums. Stand back. I think him doing a rap album in the 90s would have been great. Baby, watch him got. Baby, 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 watch him got. That one? There you go. That I one. never heard it. This week, we're going to talk about the Radicals. And it was really a, a big time in wrestling and a big coup at the time for four guys to jump like this without it being the end of territory necessarily. But a lot of people would say this is kind of the beginning of the end. So we're going to talk about those four respective guys, uh, who else may have been considered or wasn't really considered and what happened with their careers. We do get into some touchy stuff. I'm sure you can't really avoid it, uh, with Guerrero and Benoit. Um, but before we do, let's get on something else. That's a little touchy. Uh, you kind of, uh, I don't know, upset some people last week with your talk about dirt sheets that a lot of people believe is an uh, outdated term and isn't really. There's not really an internet fan. There's just fans, and there's not really a smart mark. That's, that's, they all are now. Everybody's kind of inside. Uh, so anyway, Dave Meltzer's not done with you. Have you heard about this? No, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. I'm, I'm sure you're loaded for bear. Uh, I really don't care what Dave Meltzer has to say. Look, like I said before, you know, Dave's a nice guy. Uh, Dave does his thing. I don't agree with the way that he reports things at times. I don't agree with what he says. And and so I I choose not to participate. I don't go to his site. I don't read his stuff. I get, and and I'm sure that he doesn't listen to my stuff either. I'm sure he gets whatever he hears about me secondhand. And I doubt that he listens as well. So, um, sure. Go ahead. Well, for the record, because of my relationship with Rick, I can personally attest that Dave Meltzer isn't right a hundred percent of the time. Uh, there's no reason for me to name specific incidents, but he's reported stuff this year that was incorrect, 
but that doesn't necessarily mean. Oh my God, Conrad. Okay, folks, it's at Hey Hey. It's Conrad on on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Okay, so direct all your little uh, comments to at Hey Hey. It's Conrad on Twitter. Now, to be fair, I've also said pretty consistently, I've subscribed to the Observer for more than half my life. So half of this show is me arguing. Dave Meltzer knowledge that I've gotten from his newsletter against your WWE rhetoric, uh, which it's is not what rhetoric. It, it's simply, I'm giving you what took place from my vantage point. And you know, it's funny. We've, we've talked about this off, off of the podcast before and people talk about, well, I'm, I'm towing the company line right. and I am, uh, applying for a job to go back there. Um, you know what I'm doing now? I'm happy what I'm doing. And, and it's, simply funny to me that people want me to knock what I did. Yeah. What I was a part of. Right. So for 22 years of my life, it was horrible. Come, you know, again, that's, that's silly in and of itself. I was a part of it. I was a part of the decision-making. I was a part of the creative. So you so defending a lot of it. that. It's not defending Vince so much as it is defending part it's of defending, your idea. It's defending me. It's right. defending Vince. It's defending the product that I helped create. Right. So, you know, you want to blame somebody, you know, blame me. But I'm proud of my body of work. I think I had a hell of a run. I think I had a pretty good track record. I had some stinkers. So, well, let's, but I think overall, I think I did all right 22 years. So, uh we got to plug my great friend, Mr. Bruce Mitchell. Bruce Mitchell also you might want to plug him. I he crapped on care. you on his uh, on his podcast at the Torch. Uh, and I've never crapped on him. I might have. Uh, I well, mean, he I called made him a, a Greensboro jackoff. Okay, well, he admitted to that though. Okay, this week on the Ric Flair. So show. I didn't say anything that wasn't true. No, he right. he owned that. So right. anyway, let's get to Dave Meltzer, um, our Lord and Savior of all things wrestling news online. Not mine, but okay, yours. Um, dashing Dylan on Twitter tweeted him and says he was at Bruce Pritchard. He was very serious. He hates Dave Meltzer for some reason. This guy always gives Vince's corporate line. Dashing Dave Miller. No, dashing Dylan. Dashing Dylan. Anyway, hates Dave Meltzer. No, no, no. He's saying you do. And I have, I, have you ever heard those words come out of no, my mouth? You've always said that you thought he was a nice guy. I always have. Okay. Anyway, uh, Meltzer is quick to respond on Twitter and says, Con men are supposed to hate me. That's been a given for 35 years. So he's referring to me as a con man. I guess it takes a con man to know a con man. I don't know. Bears fan on Twitter asks, can you explain what you mean by con man? Meltzer replies, con man, BS artists, the old wrestling business was proliferated by them. Well, you know what? I have spent uh, 43 years actually getting a payday and working within the business itself and helping to create it and work within it. So if that makes me a con man because I've made a living doing what I love, then I, I guess I'm guilty. Uh, Jason Adams on Twitter says, um, there's no way you can honestly believe the things you are saying. So good job on that. And Who's Mel- that? Just nobody. To me or to... That I can't he's, honestly he's, believe he, what I'm honestly no. saying? He's replying to another tweet. I'm okay. getting to what Dave Meltzer's response is. Gotcha. I'm sorry. It's tough it's okay. to follow. Okay. Meltzer's response is, don't sweat it. He, talking about you, Okay. got mad because he thinks WrestleMania drew 100K. Not sure after KPIs came out what the excuse was. Um, he also said another con man tweet. Don't get hot at fools. I just laughed them off. Business of con man and some believe the con man. 
So I'm a big time Dave Meltzer Mark. We've covered that pretty extensively here on the show. And he actually has a message board that I participate in. And uh, it's called The Board. And I recommend it for every wrestling fan who's interested in wrestling news. I don't, but I've never been there, so I, I can't recommend it. Well, here's it. what I've never done. It. You did another podcast, asshole. And uh, these guys asked you about the WrestleMania attendance. And, um, they asked me, no, hang on. Did you listen to the whole thing? I'm not listening to you cheat on me. Okay. So no, what they asked me was they asked me about something again, reported that apparently Dave had, uh, reported several different official attendance records. He reported three different numbers or something like that. And you that. don't know that you're saying these guys told you that. Yes. Cause you don't read these several people. I don't know. Okay. No, okay. I don't. Okay. So, uh, I'm getting my information secondhand, just like, uh, the, the wrestling journalists. Is that better for you? If I call them wrestling journalists? Well, you're just being condescending now, but we'll go with it. No, I'm asking you a serious question. Is that better for you? Well, so let me run through okay. what he so said. So wait, okay, well, let me finish. Well, you're taking forever. Well, I'm sorry. It, it know, is the Bruce Pritchard show. You Continue. try to take everything out of context and simply they had talked about how he had reported when, you talk about attendance and you talk about how many people are in a building. You know, that's how many people are in a building. How many people are in attendance? I wasn't talking about tickets sold. I wasn't talking about how many people were there. And again, when you state three different times, well, this is the official attendance. Well, this is the official attendance. Well, this is the official attendance. Or this is going to happen. I, I have on very good authority that this is going to happen this Monday night on Raw. But then when it doesn't happen, well, because I reported it, they changed it. Just so you know. You know. Just that- so you know, Meltzer's not, never done that, that I know of. <laughs> okay. He's never said, All right. this Monday, this is going to happen. Okay. You, All right. You clearly disagree. I'm not saying that some people don't say that, but I'm saying that's not Meltzer's style. Okay. Okay. So let, let me... So he responds to what you said in that podcast. Okay. And this is where I was like, wow. Did he listen to the whole podcast? Did he listen to Hours? It? No, did he listen to the whole podcast that Pro- I did? Probably. On your opinion, doesn't matter? What are you doing right now? Okay. So he says, does that loser realize that any WrestleMania number prior to 2003, I got directly from WWE itself when I did the 2001 article on the biggest gates in company history and they gave me the 2002 number directly before Gates started dropping across the board. And Vince told his staff to not give me numbers anymore. And even then, I was still getting them indirectly from their internal reports. So he's getting hearsay from someone within the company that he hearsay has been told they're not supposed to give him. And I'm a loser because... I don't know why I called you a loser. So he's calling me a con man and a loser. Yep. And I said he was a nice guy. I yep. don't agree with what he writes. Yep, that's accurate. Okay. He also called him a dirt sheet writer and called his newsletter little, in fairness. So? Well, I'm just saying. So anyway. So I, and what time did I ever attack him personally? Never. And call him names? Never. To the contrary, what have I said about him? You said he's a nice guy. You said he's a nice guy. Yeah. So, uh, so who's the asshole here? Am I the asshole? Am I the asshole calling people names? I mean, I think half the people listening think you're the asshole. I, I, you know what? I, I'm sure more than half the people th- think I'm an asshole. Well, I am an asshole. I read somebody say online, uh, 
this week. You love this, don't you? Well, this one you I was love, like, you, you know, folks, when I'm at home, Conrad will send me text messages of, of all the nasty things. Not all. Most. A great one I saw this week. I forgot okay. to send you. Uh, talking about yourself and your brother. I would take a bullet for Tom. Oh, I've heard that before. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'd pull a bullet and bruise. Great. Hip, hip, hooray. Go for it. So seriously, what's your response to that? I have no response to that. Well, I, again, people that don't know me have never done what I've done. You know, I, I was the guy. Um, Not the bullet. I mean, Meltzer saying that he got the numbers directly from WWE itself. He said before 2002 or something. Yeah. Okay. Well, did he get the number? Did he get the number of WrestleMania? This last WrestleMania in AT&T Stadium directly from Vince? No. Okay. So what the hell is he saying? Well, okay. He's so saying he, that he has a source that he won't name. Right. That's allegedly in, w, in WWE. Well, he can't name them. Well, again, look. I mean, you get he can't name just, them. Why? Because they get why? fired. Journalists name their sources all the time. A lot of them don't. <laughs> the, the, one, the ones that have something to hide, they, they, they don't. But, again, if you can't verify it, and you can't verify a source, and you, and you won't, then... Again, uh, would, I, I'm done with the argument at that point. Okay, let me just read you this. And, and my point, and my point in in the uh, podcast was simply that when the WWE, a publicly traded company, puts out numbers in a press release stating something, that with the SEC, you know, legally you can't do that. It's against the law, All right? So. He's accusing them of breaking the law. Um, I'm going to move on. Uh, he he also posted in your thread. I don't know. I know you probably hate the idea here, but in, you my, have, in my thread of what you have a thread on the Wrestling Observer message board. Uh, the Bruce Pritchard podcast on MLW is the topic, and when you click on it, several pages in, he sees me addressing you know listeners because I'm trying to interact, and it it really is a good board. And Dave posted in there. Which I thought, well, okay. And he says, if you're going to read the report, add this in. When I asked Vince why the number at WrestleMania and the WWE's own computer numbers for the shows were different, he told me the numbers in the computer were real and the numbers announced were, quote-unquote, for entertainment purposes only. So he talked to Vince after this past WrestleMania and AT&T. Well. So, so again, you've asked me what he apparently has asked you to ask me. So I'm asking you. So he spoke to Vince after this past WrestleMania after, and got uh, the specific Russell. name. No, no, hang on. We're talking about two different things here. So I'm saying that WWE reporting what they reported to their stockholders and a wrestling journalist mimeographed paper. That shows how old I am back mimeographed. Um, I don't know what that is. Reported reported three different numbers of his official numbers. And again, that's allegedly told to me secondhand, but again, so he's saying he talked to Vince after this WrestleMania. He also says, he said any numbers on television, he is Vince. So I'll, I'll change heat events. Vince then said any number on television is meant to be part of the show. So those were Vince's right. words. I'm sure those are Vince's words. Let me ask you, were you ever involved 
This mother's day and father's day, look no further for the perfect gift than paintyourlife.com. It's worked for me every time. And when I say every time, I mean it. I've used paintyourlife.com to bring tears to the eyes of my mom, my dad, even my father-in-law. And right now I'm ordering one for my mother-in-law all from paintyourlife.com. My mother-in-law's life is her dog, Missy. And this year, my wife and I knew exactly what to get my mother-in-law for mother's day, a painting of Missy. It really is that simple too. All we needed was a, a picture from our phone. Boom. We're up and running. You see, paintyourlife.com can really create a hand painted portrait to fit almost any budget. And it's the perfect gift for your mother, your father, or both. I've used it, as I said, on almost every person in my life. I've given these to my wife. I've given it to my cousin, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law. If I'm looking to give a truly meaningful, personable gift, I know the paintyourlife.com has my back and they're going to make it easy. You can go ahead and start the entire process in less than five minutes. And what's really cool about paintyourlife.com is they can even combine photos. Maybe you want to put two people who never met in one of your favorite vacation spots. You can do that. Just upload the photos. Bam. You're good to go. Maybe grandpa never got to meet his grandson, but paintyourlife.com that can become a reality. You can put people and places together. Even if they've never been there, you pick the artist, you pick the medium. Do you want oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even go ahead and pick out an awesome frame. The whole process to get started, as I said, takes less than five minutes and you can actually get your painting in as little as two weeks, but you work hand in hand with the artist to get every detail. Perfect. If you're looking to get those waterworks going to have your mom or your dad tear that paper and just almost be overcome with emotion. That's what I got. And I've never gotten that reaction to a gift card. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guaranteed. And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. Now to get this special offer, just text the word wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. That's wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four text wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In creating the number. In creating and guessing a number for overall attendance, yes. I love you. <laughs> I just, hang on. Okay, I'm messing up. I just answered your question. Yeah. Was I ever involved in the number? Yes. I also, I also was involved in looking at, at the reports at the end of the night and knowing exactly what we sold, what we had comps, and what was paid and taxes paid on that. Okay? And over the years, those numbers, official numbers that were reported to athletic commissions and, and reported in you know tax documents that they paid taxes on were different than the, quote, the real numbers that were reported in different wrestling journalistic 
crap shit, whatever the hell you call them. I call it the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Okay. Whatever. So you created the number? Did I create numbers? No, I didn't create numbers. You take the numbers and you take how many people are in a building, and that's called capacity. That's called attendance. So attendance and capacity, there's actually two different things. Well, one, all right, so let's run through this. There's always so an, been an attendance number is how many people are in the building. How many people are in attendance? All right. So you're counting so let's say ticket you've got, sellers. Let's say, you've got, let's say you've got a building that holds 1,000 people. Okay. Let's say you have 200 workers that work there. Let's say that the production that you have has another 150 people. Just throwing out numbers. That's the attendance, pal. <laughs> Sound like that's the attendance, pal. That's the attendance. That's how many people are in attendance at that event. I'm not arguing that, but what Dave often reports is the number of tickets well, and, sold as a measure of and I'm business. Tell, and I'm telling you that over the years, his reported numbers and the numbers that were actually drawn and money that was taken in and taxes that were paid on were, they were different. Are you telling me that every time you guys announce the number on television, the WWE pay taxes on that amount? I, did, I didn't say that. I'm asking a fucking question. Well, no, I didn't say that. Okay, so will you answer what I just said? The number that's What the hell amount, was the question? Thank you for listening to something to wrestle with. <laughs> if the number is reported on television... The re- number on television is the attendance. So it's not... What- that's what we said, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about, the attendance. Yeah. When... You know, someone, I, I did see this where someone had a, a picture and they said, well, there's only 70,000 people that are, uh, that can even be held in the AT&T stadium. Well, that's because there's no field seating. Well, okay. There's a, here's the facts, the facts that there are only 70,000 people that could be held that's in AT&T. That's for a AT&T's. Cowboys game. Yeah. Okay. What in the Cowboys game you're talking about? No, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. All right. The people who now, say that are, are, are getting that number based on what a sellout for a Cowboys game would be. But this is different. You got people on the field. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I feel, like I feel like we're saying the same thing. You just want to be hot about it. I'm very hot about it. Well, in the end, we just need to put a bow on this and get to the radicals. Dave Meltzer has said that you're a con man, insinuated yeah. that you're a liar, you're a BS artist. And that you're a loser. Okay. Any official retort? Well, I, I guess, again, to be able to identify those things, you you know, you, I guess, uh, you know, he must associate very well with all of those things. You know, I've never said anything bad about Dave. That uh, feels like a no, I'm not, you are no. response. I, I guess if he knows what that is. Uh, Dave doesn't know me. Talked to him on the phone, you know, several times. I, I've, I have no personal relationship with him. He doesn't know me. He's never done my job. He's never been in the places I've been in. He knows nothing about me. Zero. He knows things he's heard right. from other people. Right. That's all he knows. He knows that he can't sit there and say that the relationship that we've had when we've talked on the phone over the years 
was ever a bad one. Right. He can't say I ever lied to him. He can't say that I, I was ever dishonest with him in any way, shape or form that I didn't, uh, that I ever treated him disrespectfully in any way, shape or form. So I'm not going to get, you know, sit here and go, Oh, you called me a loser. Well, you're a bigger loser. Okay. I'm not going to resort to that. I'm 53 years old. <laughs> you think I give a shit what anybody thinks of me? I sound like somebody we both know and love. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, uh, you I, I'm, too, sure I'm, to, I'm really too old for that. Be know? sure to catch the uh, Ric Flair show Wednesdays here <laughs> on MLW Radio. He's 67, and he could give a blank. Exactly. <laughs> well, you're going to give a blank about the radicals. That's what we're really here for. Now it's time for the main event. It's a little segment we like to call What Happened When... And this week we're covering something that I think is underrated and uh, I'm excited to talk about, especially because of all the guys involved. You are so happy that this subject was chosen this week. Well, and here's why. Uh, I did campaign for it on the Wrestling Observer message board, uh, which I know I didn't tell you about, but I did. (laughs) Uh, But I did because you... So you rigged it. Well, I tried. Several months ago, you told me this story. And it's one of the reasons I first pitched you on doing a podcast, because we sat and talked about this for more than an hour, and I was just fascinated by every little detail. And I thought, God, man, if if wrestling nerds like me could hear this, this would be a fucking awesome podcast. And now it is. It's something to wrestle with. And we're telling the exact story that kind of triggered me into thinking, I wouldn't have even thought this would be that interesting, but it is. So let's talk about, you know, what's going on and kind of lay the backstory, I guess. This all starts with a group in WCW that's formed in July of 1999 called the Revolution. Uh, and the concept of these guys is they feel like the, the old guys are holding them down and they're trying to uh, take their spot and they're going to finally demand to push. And they're baby faces. Uh, they're Chris Benoit, they're Dean Malenko, they're Shane Douglas, and they're Perry Saturn. Fast forward. Obviously, 1999 and 2000 WCW is just, you know, crazy at the time. Flip-flopping bookers and directions left and right. Mid-2000, they have their sold-out pay-per-view, and it's right after they had announced that Kevin Sullivan is going to take over as the booker. Uh, They had been flip-flopping the book back and forth. Kevin Sullivan obviously had a history with Chris Benoit. Whether you believe that it was a, a work that turned into a shoot or a shoot that turned into a work or whatever, Nancy Sullivan, and correct me where I'm wrong here, Bruce, uh, was portraying the woman character. She was with Kevin Sullivan. On camera, it became a thing either after or before it was a thing in real life. Do you know the timetable on that? I don't. So now Nancy Sullivan is with Chris Benoit and. They have some interesting interactions on pay-per-view and on television, a great series of matches. And that all happens in like 96, 97. Now we're into 2000 and it's a real thing. Benoit is now uh, with Nancy and she has divorced Kevin and they're together. And to show that Kevin is not going to have a bias, I I suppose is the, is the rumors and innuendo or me playing connect the dots on my end. He books Chris Benoit to beat Sid Vicious for the world title, the big gold belt, at this pay-per-view on January 16th in Cincinnati, sold out. But just in case they have Sid stick his foot under the rope, in case for whatever reason they need to get out of it, because at the time, there's a lot of unrest. 
And in the year prior to this, there had been so much unrest that Bischoff holds a meeting and says, Hey, if you're not happy, you can leave. And Raven takes him up on it. So there's a lot of guys who just want out that it's clear. The WWF has won now. WCW is trying to play catch up ball. They're scrambling. And now Benoit finds himself world champion, but he's working for a booker that he doesn't really trust because of his real life personal situation. So now I've tried to set the stage here, but you were there. How do you, well, I was at WWF. I wasn't at WCW, but you were there when the call comes, a call comes, a text comes, a fax, an email. What's that look like when you first hear, Hey, wait a minute, something's up. Well, uh, I want to say we were doing TV in New Haven, but um, I really don't remember the particulars. And I got a call from Perry Saturn, was the one who called me and contacted me. And I stepped outside of a production meeting. I took the phone call, and Perry explained to me what had taken place the night before. I had not seen the pay-per-view, uh, the WCW pay-per-view the night before, Um he told me, you know, Benoit won the title, that Kevin Sullivan was in charge, and that they were, they being the talent at WCW, had been offered releases if they wanted releases. And that himself, Dean Malenko, uh, Eddie Guerrero, and Chris Benoit were uh, getting their releases and, and wanted out and wanted to know if we were interested in them. And who's making the call here? This was Perry Saturn. Okay. Perry made the initial contact. Okay. And I told Perry that if he was under contract, that we couldn't speak to him. Did you and, have Perry's number from ECW back in the day when y'all did stuff together? Well, I, I knew Perry. Yeah. And I, and how I did, did you have, know Perry from, from, Triple H? E- from ECW? Okay, okay. Yeah. From ECW. Okay. And I, you know, I talked to Perry before I was a fan of Perry's and, uh, we had each other's number. So when, when he called, I knew it was Perry Saturn calling me and where were you when you got the call? I was in the production meeting for raw that okay. night and I walked out, like I said, you know, and took the call, but, um, I told him to protect us from any legal issues that we would have to have something from Turner that stated that they were uh, either released or that they could enter into negotiations with us, something that said that um, we could talk to them about their contracts. Something to see why. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we had gotten into trouble. We had accused WCW of tampering. And the last thing <laughs> that we wanted to do was get, get caught in any kind of a, a tampering issue with anybody right. from the other side. So um, how shocked were you to hear that Benoit was – on the list. I, you know, I, I was, I was pretty shocked that all four of them were on the list, frankly. Um, but they, they faxed over a release very shortly, uh, faxed over to the offices and, um, my assistant got it to, got it to us, got it right down to the lawyers and they looked at it and said, yep, it's on the up and up and we can talk to them. So to put this in perspective, this is literally the day after Benoit wins the world title. Less the very than 24 first hours. Time. This is Monday, January 17th. He won the belt the night before, and he's already calling for a new job. Yeah. When Perry calls, um, does he lay out any detail? Well, he just, again, he just explained that everybody, uh, 
everybody was offered their release and that those four guys were best friends. They traveled together. They ate together. They trained together. They did everything together and that all four of them wanted to come. And he made it a point to let me know that if we, you know, didn't have anything for him or Dean or Eddie, that we please take Benoit. And, um, as a matter of fact, every single guy to the man made that same statement. They were all four of those guys, of course, except for Benoit, uh, all four of the, the, the other three guys all made it a point say, Hey, if you're not interested in us, please do something for Chris. And I guess they felt that Chris was kind of in a, in a rough situation there with Sullivan and, and Nancy and everything. And yeah, and that Chris really wanted out. And so let me ask you this. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of detail here, but lots of talk and Mike Graham admitted to it before he passed away that he made a veiled threat, not even a veiled threat that, that, he, that, that he Mike made, Graham made a threat to Benoit. Yes. That yes. if someone had positioned themselves and kind of grandstanded the way Benoit had to Sullivan and done what he had with Sullivan's wife and now trying to take his job that he would have cut his head off and put it on a stick or I'm, I'm freestyling that, but it's something really over the top like that. Uh, was that statement ever shared with you guys at all? Because part of the rumors and innuendo is that that statement is what led to them being able to ask for their release. It may have been, I know that that was brought up the, the altercation with Mike and, um, that Mike had made, you know, some kind of a threat and I, I believe it was just Benoit, but it may have been others and that they felt, you know, a little uncomfortable, <coughs> but it, you know, it was, it was one of those situations where timing was, was everything. And it was, you know, right time, right place, everything kind of the, the moon and the stars lined up. Um, let me ask you this. Um, when you walk back in the meeting, do you pass a note to Vince? Or do you just tell Vince what happened? Do you play that close to the vest or do you announce it just to him, to the room? I, no, God, no, no. I just talked to Vince about it. Um, I just let Vince know. And, you know, he said, make sure that they're free and clear. Don't do, don't talk anything with them until we get a release. So, so then when you get the heads up from the office, Hey, the paperwork checks out. Um, do you go circle up events and say, let's try to set up a meeting or what happens? Next? We, we set up a meeting. We are like, get those guys up here as soon as possible, uh, to Stanford and let's talk to them. So that's Monday, January 17th. Now let's kind of hit the reset button here in WCW. This group was called revolution. And that group was Shane Douglas, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, which for those of you ECW fans keeping up, that was what they called the triple threat in ECW before they split up. And then they added Perry Saturn to the group to make it a total of four guys. But what we're talking about here is a different set of guys because, uh, Eddie Guerrero's in the group, but Shane Douglas is not. So carry me through. Cause I've heard Shane's version. And I think a lot of people have heard Shane's version but what's your version of Shane Douglas being included in this conversation or not? Shane was not included in any of the conversations with I, that I had with the four guys. So they and never even brought his name up. 
they didn't bring his name up until after the fact when Shane, I guess, had called the uh, Sheraton in Stanford and found out they were there. You know, said somebody said they were there. Um, they weren't registered under their name, so <laughs> he couldn't have called and asked for Perry Saturn. But um, Perry Saturn's a shoot name. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but Eddie Guerrero is, and Dean Malenko is. But still, the um, was the Sheraton where you guys normally held all of your meetings. Well, we didn't. No, that's where we usually stayed. It was a company hotel. Okay. So okay. That was our yeah. That was our go to hotel there, but. No one had had brought Shane up into the conversation until, you know, those rumblings were made, I guess. Um, And they made it very clear that anybody else that was to say that they were a part of their group coming in, it was just those four. And, And all four of those guys continually reiterated that. But, uh, the guys came in, I went over and met them at the Sheraton, um, I believe Jim Ross was with me and then we brought him back over to the, to the office on main street, uh, after hours, it was a little bit later in the evening. I went and had, had dinner with him at the Sheraton. We talked, but the, the whole, the whole thing was to get them in front of Vince as soon as possible and get everybody talking. So, um, there's another guy that's not often mentioned in this group but we should address it. Conan uh, was often discussed as being someone else who wanted out. He wasn't happy with the direction of WCW and the way that some of the Hispanic performers were being treated. And he had been with the WWF for a brief hiccup back in the day. Let's let's talk about that. I don't know when we'll talk about it again, but uh, Conan, of course, was the Hulk Hogan of Mexico. I mean, a huge star. Oh my God, he was a soap opera star. He was the biggest. He was the biggest star. Triple A. He helped put Triple A on the map. Uh, a lot of success very early in life. Very muscular guy. Had a phenomenal look. Great performer. Very colorful. I mean, just big time performer. But somehow, a few years before all of this. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. He kind of, I don't know, flirted with the idea of coming to WWF. What happened with the Max Moon situation and how all that shook out? I wasn't there when uh, Conan came in. That was during my hiatus in, in 1991. And to answer a fan who asked a question about why I was fired in 1981, it was because I didn't get along. 91. You in said 91. 81. I'm sorry, 1991. It was because I didn't get along with the executive producer that they had hired. And uh, 100% my fault, my ego, my uh, naivete, and just being a cocky young brat that thought he had all the answers and didn't want to get along with anybody um, other than those that I thought I had to. So and, in 92, when the Max Moon character is first coming around, you're not there. I was there right after uh, SummerSlam in Wembley 
was uh, the TV in Hershey. That was my first day back. And ultimately, uh, I think think Paul Diamond debuted with that shortly after that. Yeah. So, but you don't know. I was there for Max Moon. I wasn't there for Conan. Who was going to be Max Moon originally when you guys pulled his name out of the box of gimmicks. Yes. Or they, you weren't there. Maybe it was Finkel that day. I wasn't there. Yeah. Maybe Howard pulled it out and said, hey, I, here's, we've got a Max Moon gimmick. Yeah. Exactly. That's what happened. Um, so this. Counter carry me t-shirt through. available at pro wrestling com forward slash Bruce Pritchard, but go ahead. Uh, yeah. Check out your box. of gimmicks T everybody needs that. Uh, Conan wants out at the time, right. asked for his release, uh, but is not a part of the group. Doesn't make his debut with the radicals. Um, what happened? Where was Conan and all this <sighs> funny story? Uh, you know, I knew you'd get me to this. This is a funny story. This is a misunderstanding, but it is kind of comical in its misunderstanding. At the time, I was not watching WCW. Um, Nobody was. That was the problem. I, I get it. Um, but but I wasn't watching it, and even when I did watch it, I wasn't, you know, didn't pay a whole lot of attention except for what I wanted to pay attention to. I was at the office, and this is the same day that we're meeting with uh, the four guys that are coming in. And there's somebody that keeps calling and keeps calling, and and the girls are, I I guess, had uh, told them nobody was in. And I come in, and they say, hey, man, this guy's calling, so on and so forth. Would you please take the call? Because he he just won't let up. I take the call. And the call is, yo, 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 it's K-Dog. Now, I hadn't watched WCW at this at this time. I, I didn't. I knew Conan as Conan. Right. Knew him as Charlie. Knew him as Conan. And he was he was talking in a way that it was yo 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 K Dog. I'm yo yo yo. It's K Dog. I didn't know who the hell K Dog was. I had no idea who he was. And he talked about being with the NWO, and he's. Uh, at WCW and he wants to come in, wants to know if we have anything for him. I told him to send a tape, send me some pictures and tape. I had no idea who you asked Conan, one of the biggest stars in the history of Mexican wrestling. No, I, I, no, no, hang on. No, I asked K dog. Okay. I didn't know what was Conan for Um, tapes for tapes and pictures and send them in. And his response was, I, you know, I don't really, <laughs> it couldn't have been favorable. Yeah, it wasn't favorable. And it was, you know, I guess very insulting to him, but I didn't, I didn't put Conan. And again, it's like, you know how you meet somebody in a prior life and they go somewhere else and they're a different name. You, you probably run across this all the time. Yeah. I met Bruce Pritchard. There you go. And he used to be brother. He, I used to be brother. Love. He used to be over. Right. I used to be over. Um, but you know, Bruce. So if you were to see me as brother love, you'd still call me Bruce. Right. Well, if I was to have seen K dog at that time, I still would have known him as Conan. Right. And so you block out sometimes. I, I really didn't, uh, really didn't mean any disrespect and it was simply that my ignorance of not realizing who the hell k-dog was i hung up with him and howard finkel came in and said who was that i said somebody named k-dog he said conan 
I said, no, 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 no. He, he was. He said his name was K Dog. He says, yeah, that's Conan. Wow. And I felt like an idiot. Um, but I didn't. You know, I didn't have his number. I was like, okay. But you know, I asked. Um, Vince and them said, you guys have any interest in Conan? They they didn't have any interest in him anyway. Um, so I was going to wait for those pictures and tape to come in, I guess. But the he, he called, uh, I guess, Eddie Guerrero later and was appalled <laughs> that I had asked him to send tape and pictures in. And I never, you know. So you don't, you... Ed, Eddie, found it, Eddie found it kind of funny. Um, he, said, he goes, man, did you really... Did you really ask Conan to send pictures in the tape? I said, I didn't know it was him. I, he kept saying K-Dog, and I didn't put the two together. And, it's, you know, it was one of those days. So, just to be clear, because we're going to get hate tweets on this. Oh, I'm sure we will. You don't dislike Conan. Conan's not a poor performer to you. You're not shitting on him. No. You just didn't correlate the two. No. When I, you know, if I saw, K, if I saw Conan on TV and he was going by... Uh, Charlie Chan. I would say, oh, that's Conan. You know, I didn't, I, and I hadn't watched. I didn't know he had changed his name to K-Dog. Right. I had no clue at all. And to me, it was Conan. And I didn't, he didn't say, this is Conan. <laughs> this is K-Dog. Like, Sorry. You're getting a receipt on his podcast next week. I, You know, I will, but uh, accept my apology now and, uh, you know, I really, I, I swear to God, meant no, no disrespect whatsoever. Why, why do you think there was no interest from Vince and company in him? You'd have to ask Vince. I don't know. Just, well, I'm wasn't. just saying. I mean, a- there was here. Here are four guys available, and you know how much, how many guys can you bring in at one time? Too, I think that may have been an issue as well. Well, I get that, that, uh, you know, it's a lot of folks, but it seems like if he really is one of the biggest stars in the history of Mexico. You try to find a, a spot for him. Maybe you do, but they didn't. Okay. Uh, why do you, why do you think there was no interest in, um, Shane Douglas had Shane burned the bridge when he was there before and then goes out and kind of smashes WWE a little bit. Well, you know, that's an interesting one too. Shane never called me. I never talked to Shane and Shane, I believe had called Jr. and might've had some discussions with Jr. but in the situation as far as those four guys coming in, Shane was never, you know, he wasn't a part of that from from their side. He wasn't a part of that from the presentation of, well, hey. But what I'm asking, though, is not their presentation as a group. You guys didn't sign them necessarily because they were part of the group, right? You thought, hey, this is a chance to take from WCW and add to WWF. What would it really matter if it was you know, as a group or individually, what, why wouldn't a Shane Douglas be of interest? I can't answer that. Um, other than, you know, Shane didn't have a great, great run when he was there as Dean Douglas. And so you don't remember a specific conversation no, about him. I or don't Conan. because I didn't, again, I wasn't involved in any of the correspondence with Shane at that time. Okay. And Shane, and who was that through? That was through, I believe Jr. Okay. So Jr. was talking to Shane. And or you, had a conversation with Shane. Okay. I don't know that they were. They had at least one phone call. Yeah. And and then you uh, hung up on Conan and told him to send a tape. <laughs> I never hung up on Conan. I did ask him to send a tape and pictures. Okay. 
Um, so now you, you meet with these guys. I asked K-Dog. Right. Not Conan. If he had said, hey, it's Conan. Do you meet with these guys um, at the Sheraton with Vince? Are you in the room? Is it no, all- you're not listening, Conrad. I said I met with them. I think JR was with me. Then we came over to the office to meet with Vince. I'm with you. But okay. I guess what I'm saying is, like, when this meeting happens, is it happening individually with Vince? Yes. Okay. Um, and that happens at headquarters. Yes. And it's in his office. In Vince's office. Okay. And one by one, was there ever, you know, as they meet with them, was there ever any sort of thought amongst you or JR or Vince that this is a, you know, package deal, got to sign them all? No, because they all made it clear that it, that they would all like to come and, for from us i i can give you my vantage point i wanted all four um vince wanted all four jr wanted all four the i think the funniest comment that was made was when vince finally met eddie guerrero and we walked around the corner he looked at me and says he's so tiny uh <clears throat> and I, I remember saying yeah but he's the mexican Shawn michaels and it was, you know, Vince just kind of shook his head the way that he did. And he's so tiny. God. Um, I don't think Vince was expecting that. <laughs> you know, Eddie was, Eddie was not the tallest guy in the, but he was jacked. in the arena. He was, he was a big boy in heart and he was, uh, yeah, he looked like a million bucks, man. Uh, you know, Eddie was one of those guys, his personality was 20 feet tall and his ability was a hundred feet tall. Do you, um, his personality was just huge. And did you think when you first met all of them in person, was that the first time you'd met each of them or had you met them prior? I had met obviously Perry, Perry. I'd met, uh, Benoit and known Chris kind of over the years, back and forth a little bit. Where though? Where would Just you? in Canada and along the road, you know, you'd be in the same town sometimes, crisscrossing, you see each other in airports and stuff. I was always friendly with Chris. Sure. So uh, I had known Chris from before. I knew uh, Perry and I'd never met Eddie before. And um, Coming out of that initial meeting, you were most impressed with Eddie? Hmm. Impressed? Well, I'm I was saying, impressed with all of them. I, I well, really, but like this guy, this is the guy. I mean, in every group, there's a guy. I'll sometimes. tell you, the, the, the guy, the guy. When I saw Eddie Guerrero, was when he was uh, with Art Bar, the Love Machine, yeah. And uh, and those guys were on fire in Mexico, and it was the event that they had in California. It was a big pay per view. One World Collide. Yes. Yeah. And I, I just became a big fan of Eddie's at that time. And I'd always been a fan of Art Bar's. thought Art Bar was tremendous. But you knew Art Bar had a record that maybe Vince would be scared of? Yeah, Art Art wouldn't have fit into the culture in WWF. And But Eddie, being Hispanic as well. What does that mean? What? Art wouldn't have fit into the culture. Art had a rape charge and just wouldn't have fit into that culture. So did Jerry Lawler. As, uh, yeah. So? So Jerry was acquitted. I think Art did some time, didn't he? I don't remember. I was I just busting either. balls. You are busting I, balls. I, I'm just saying when you say it didn't fit into the culture. Uh, he wouldn't have fit into the culture. Jerry Lawler wouldn't have fit into the culture. Murdered a girl. He's been accused of murder. 
Okay. Well, you said a rape charge. Let's talk about a murder charge. Okay, a murder charge. You said murder. Okay. I said charge. I'm just saying it's a little weird. Again, that's where you leave off words and it becomes a whole different uh, conversation. You don't think a murder to chick? I don't know. I wasn't there. Oh, my God. Okay. I wasn't there. Okay. I didn't ask if you witnessed it. I didn't say, did you push her down? I'm not saying that. Let's move along. <laughs> so, was this just, one of those questions I'm dodging? Just, yes. Okay. Bastard. Will you just give me a straight answer? Was Eddie, did you think Eddie Guerrero was the big money draw potential of the four? Or did you I think thought, it was Benoit? I thought it was Benoit. I thought it and was you thought ben, that I based- thought I thought it was Benoit and Saturn. Okay. And um uh, I was a big fan of Perry. I just love Perry's look. Um He thought it was Saturn based on his crazy look and style that he got yes. over in WCW. Yes. And he thought it was Benoit based on well, his more, most more Perry from from that Eliminator days. Uh him and Cronus. Are you putting ECW over a no, little I'm bit? No, I'm putting right? Perry Saturn over. Okay. And you know, uh, Perry's just had a unique look and, a, and an intensity about him that was unique. He had a, he had a very unique look and style. I don't he disagree. Was he was different. I was a big fan. Yeah, I was too. But you, uh, okay, so you come out of this meeting, and I assume in this meeting you guys talk more about would you have us. At this point, there's a real dollar amount. We're well past, you know, 10 dates for $1,500 or whatever the original old school Vince McMahon contracts were now we're into no we're into downside guarantees at yeah. this point yeah do they all ask for the same thing I'm not asking what they got I'm going to but did they all ask well I'm not going to tell you what they got so I'll save I'll save you asking me the question um, I don't think it's really anybody's business personally what people make but no they didn't ask for the same amounts so they okay well in my head and they didn't they didn't ask for amounts they they asked for what you know what can you pay me they didn't come in and say hey i want x amount of dollars so did they make any demands that you know of as far as number of dates or just no i want to be here No, they want to be there and um i want to say that each guy reiterated to vince you know hey if you can't if you don't want us cool please do something with chris do you think And, and 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 all of those guys also felt that uh we really only wanted chris because he was the champ i guess yeah and we really and we really and truly wanted all of them the you know there there was different level of interest in each guy was there any um obviously there was a lawsuit in place but somebody's going to ask so i'm going to ask anyway was there was there any idea or inclination to say, hey, bring the belt. I know Rick no, did that, and there was a lawsuit, not. and there was a precedent set. No. But somebody on Twitter is going to say, why didn't you ask if he'd bring the belt? Vince so, didn't want it. And you didn't re- refer to him as the WCW Heavyweight Champion either, because no. at this point, you're not acknowledging the competition because you're in first place. Right. So as a rule of thumb, for those of you keeping score at home, correct me if I'm wrong here, Bruce. If you're in second place, you're constantly calling out number one. If you're in first place, <laughs> number two doesn't exist. Seems seems that way, yeah. Okay, all right. So... Yeah. um I do find it curious, and I know you don't want to talk about it, so just give me vague answers and play dodgeball, which you clearly do for a part-time living now. Um, don't you think they lose a little bit of leverage financially if they quit WCW? Like, if you're in a bidding war 
and you really want them, then that money can kind of move up. But when they come in and say, hey, just quit my job at uh, across the street at your competitor, what can you pay me? There's not really a number three option at that point. At this point in time, ECW's not out of business yet, but they're bouncing checks like a son of a bitch. That's not a real option. Japan is not what it once was. So really and truly, it's kind of here or having a little bit of a rough go at it outside of maybe the first 90 days when your indie stuff starts to dwindle. But the big money is here and here alone. So don't you think they lose a little bit of leverage by quitting their freaking job before they come up? Well, they were top guys. I mean, they were they were top guys in their own right. And I think they saw the opportunity to make as much, if not more money than they were already making. Now they would have a much tougher schedule. That's for sure. So you consider, this is important. The other three guys who weren't heavyweight title guys, right. To be top guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, probably probably Dean, not so much, but Dean, Dean's a hell of a hand. I mean, Dean was, was great. Dean was one of those guys you could put against anybody on the card. He'd make them. So he made the least just figured that out. Thank you. Not necessarily. Did, uh, Benoit sign for the most. Give me that. Just no. give me that. No. Why won't you do this? Because. He's dead. I, I don't care. I don't care. This is weird to me. I'm sorry. Did he make more than a million dollars in his first year there? I don't know. Just guess. I don't know. Okay. This is. Probably did very well. This is a waste of time. Okay. So, uh, you guys. I said save the question. I wasn't going to answer it. Well, I just learned Dean was in last place. I, I wanted to know who was first. And in my no, head, I, I told you, I told you as far as probably level of interest, it would be Benoit one, Perry two, uh, Eddie three and Dean four. Okay. As far as level of interest. That's what I needed to know. Okay. okay. Wasn't that hard? See? Well, what? you didn't, that's not the question you asked. Well, I want to know dollar figures. Well, I'm not going to tell you dollar figures. Okay. But I know it wasn't a million dollars, so we're figuring that out. Okay, let's move along. Um, so you guys make this deal. So and those you, are the innuendo and assumptions you make that are incorrect. Well, listen, you're the sleazy con man. That's me. It's getting called out in all the newsletters. All right. They got credibility. You have this initial conversation with them on Monday the 17th. Do you meet with them in Stanford that very same week? Is yes. this Okay. I so want to say we met with them on that Wednesday. Okay. Like all right. So you met them on, like, the 19th. Uh, and they don't actually debut though. And this is what I found interesting because when you look at when they show up, it's the end. So it's January 31st. So almost two weeks later before they make a debut, it seems like you guys would have tried to put them on the show before that. Was that contract back and forth during that time? No, I think it was simply, you know, we had TV laid out and it was just simply a matter of, do you realize how bullshit that sounds? You guys used to change oh, I'm TV. I'm sorry, uh, because y'all were all there when we wrote TV. Uh, no, I, I know I, we cha- We did change TV on, on the fly, but we had things laid out and wanted them to have impact and wanted them to be able to come in as, as a surprise and let everybody, all, but, you know, I say surprise, but we also wanted the anticipation of them coming in. It was, it was simply, let's plan for it. Uh, you can do a knee-jerk reaction and have them come out the very next night, but... If, if you're not 100% ready and you don't 100% have everything down, sometimes you end up kicking yourself in the ass when you don't need to. And we didn't need to. Had we been in second place at the time, maybe we would have. 
I find it interesting though, that they're top guys and you want to give them a big impact. So you have them debut in the crowd because they're outsiders. I get it. You're trying to kind of do some of that. And they interfere in a match with the new age outlaws, Al Snow and Steve Blackman, and then all put their finishers on. And then they're offered a chance to win contracts by beating members of DX and X-Pac beats Dean Malenko and, um, Perry Saturn and Eddie Guerrero lose to the new age outlaws and Chris Benoit loses to triple H. Was this kind of foreshadowing for what we could expect with the WCW invasion? We get these guys over. They've been on other TV. Let's beat the shit out of them the first time they're on TV. Well, first of all, we didn't beat the shit out of them. Second, <laughs> second of all, Eddie Guerrero dislocated his elbow in that match, and that was an audible that was called. And it was also an idea of let them fight from underneath, because again, what just you know, as, as you even phrase the question, it's like, what would the typical wrestling thing be to do? They bring they them in, over. bring bring them in, and have them go over your top guys. Well, hang on. Then your then your top guys are shit. Bring them in, let them work from underneath, and do it a little differently. Um, not do the same formula of what has been done and what we always seem to lazily fall back on. Guilty, done it. It was just a different way to do it. But Eddie, you know, that Eddie, sounds like a bullshit answer, Bruce. Okay, you think it's bullshit, but that's what it was. It's a different way to do it. If you, you saw, you don't just just because you hang you, on, you come in and guys go over doesn't mean they're over. If Finn Balor's debut on Raw consisted of Seth Rollins beating him clean in the middle, you think that's a hell of a way to debut Finn Balor? It would depend. It would depend on what the buildup was. Depend on what the story was. What if Finn if Balor these guys, was sitting if these in the guys crowd? Came in and they're overcome, and then they fight from underneath. It's it's another way to do it, and. Whether it's right or wrong, it, it's what we did. Right. So, and it worked. And you guys quickly. Yeah, but but did, it, did it not work? Did Benoit not get over? Did Eddie not get over? Did I mean, did it not work? No, it did work. Okay, then just because we strayed from what traditional wrestling would do. I love saying that, wrestling. Um, it, it's different. It was just different. That's all. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, time, let's bring these guys in from WCW and squash them. You can't, why tell do me. you No, Hang on. Why do you invest in someone to just bring them in and destroy them? I'm asking. There's nothing you don't gain anything from that. There was a story behind it. It was for these guys to fight from underneath and, the and overcome. And the story was, let's have triple H beat their world champion in his first match, just like he did with Taz. No, that's what happened. Okay. The story was that the radicals come in, they come in on a high and have the fucking rug pulled out from under them. Okay. The predictable story would be, okay, the new guys come in, so they're going to go over and win contracts. A story is, Hey, the new guys come in, they get thwarted. They get the rug pulled out from under them. What happens now? So, based on on the philosophy, of what you're talking about is okay. Hey, well, let's just let's spend all this money 
and bring in four new talent and let's just squash them like bugs and, and move on just to show that we're better. You're going to tell me that there was no thought process whatsoever amongst Triple H or anyone else. And Triple H had a reputation at the time from the newsletters. You can correct it right now. Because they were all there in the in the meetings when all this stuff was discussed. He beat Taz in the middle. He beat oh, Chris Benoit in the middle. And those were the champs for WCW and ECW. Oh, my God. Just asking. He's been beaten in the middle, too. So, yeah, so we squashed him, too, because he got beat in the middle. You, you win in the middle, you lose in the middle. But for you know, the conspiracy theorists of, no, we brought this guy in... <clears throat> To squash him makes absolutely zero sense. I, I hear you, but you're defending it as someone who was in the room when it happened, as you've reminded me many times through these podcasts. But if you and I were to go sit in the other room and watch a new character debut on Raw the same way, you would look at me and you would say, boy, that'll get over. Maybe, maybe not. But I would also be able to understand a thought process of why they did it. And understand that, okay, what if... What if you tried on something else and did it differently? And again, the predictable thing would have been, hey, have these guys come in, have them go over. Instead of, why don't we tell a story? Why don't we have people wondering, well, what the hell now? These guys come over. They're fresh off of WCW. They're coming in. Well, of course we're going to put them over. Oh, shit. What do they do now? And you tell the story of them getting back in. What do they do now? And on top of that, the real life situation of Eddie dislocating his elbow in the middle of the match. Right. And knowing <laughs> that he's screwed with his bones sticking out of his arm and going, oh, crap. When you've got now you're you are reshuffling the deck going, well, what the hell do we do now? And it is a completely different story from that point forward. So let's talk real quick about the individual guys. Um, soon after they debut, Dean Malenko uh, wins, uh, I guess you guys were calling it like the light heavyweight title at the time. And um, he hangs around for a while, wrestling guys like Scotty Too Hotty and uh, stuff like that. And then there's a little bit of a feud with Guerrero and Saturn uh, that involved China and... Um, Anyway, talk to me about Dean Malenko. It feels like his WWF career was not quite what it could have been on screen. Of course, he was there for a long time. I think he's even wrestled through like 07. Uh, he's still an agent with the company now. Been mm-hmm. with them as long as I can remember. I guess from that day, from 2000 on, so 16 years now. Uh, not a bad run. Not a bad run at all. Still an agent, still doing a great job for him, but... On screen, he never had the success to me that he did in WCW. Why do you think that was? Or do you disagree? Well, I don't think there was as big of an emphasis on the light heavyweights in WWF. And it was more seen as, you know, maybe Dean can bring that division up. And I don't I don't know that that audience really ever got behind the, the cruiserweights or the light heavyweights. It is a division. I hope they do now with their cruiserweight division, but you know, that's still yet to be seen. He, um, he was off TV pretty soon after he was there. Uh, and, he who? 
uh, Dean Malenko, okay. and and was around briefly for the um, uh, the invasion, and then I know you know he did some memorial shows and stuff, uh, doing you know occasional matches in '05, and uh, I I just don't think that Dean got maybe the rub that he had hoped on camera. Let's talk a little bit though about you know obviously we're building to the two that everybody really wants to hear about. But Perry Saturn is another guy who I don't think really shook out the way a lot of people would have imagined. Uh, he just recently reemerged, and, and uh, it's come out that he is dealing with some traumatic brain injuries. So prayers go to Perry from everything I've ever heard. Super nice guy. Great guy. Really he- nice guy. A hero in certain aspects for you know what he's done for people. Um, but he had some substance issues along the way, I think. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what sidetracked him? And I, I know that um, a lot of people are going to want to ask. So I want to ask. He beat up that Mike Bell guy pretty good. Um, and I think his brother's the one who did the bigger, faster, stronger documentary. But it was a jobber match, uh, a squash match. I know I shouldn't have said that. It was an enhancement match uh, for Perry Saturn, and he just ran through him. Do you remember that at all? I, I actually do remember that. And it was, you know, you couldn't ask for a nicer guy in Mike Bell. Um, great guy had been around for a while and it was, it was uncalled for and Perry did beat him up. I think Mike had, had missed a move or something and Perry dropped him on his head and, and did beat the shit out of him. I do remember that. Um, and I, I remember that because I actually just saw it. Somebody sent it to me, uh, not long ago. So were you in gorilla when that happened? I probably was. So when you see it going on, are you flipping out? Not happy, and I'm, I'm sure the agents talked to him uh, after that match. But it was, you know, I remembered it definitely when I saw it. It was, it's just, it's unprofessional, it's, just to, to take advantage of somebody like that, and and somebody that, that's there giving you their body, right? And and then just take advantage of them because they screwed up a spot. You know, shit happens. Be professional about it. Move on. And, and move didn't Perry forward. say he's something like he? He was knocked unconscious for a minute, or he was blacked out, or something. That Mike Bell was, well, or that I th- Perry. I was. think Perry was, or I think he said he was. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure Mike was. I mean, it looked like Mike yeah, was beat out the of shit it. Out I mean, of him. Yeah. You know, this is a weird question to ask, but when a guy, you know, gets taken advantage of like that, especially an enhancement guy, does the company try to slide something extra in their envelope as a, hey, sorry about that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. It's unfortunate. I mean, it really is. And, and that was, one you of as the company have to feel like shit, man, you do. I don't want, I didn't do. want that. And I feel bad. I didn't do it, but I got yes. to do something nice for the guy and it feels dirty to give him more money, but I kind of feel like I should give him more money, but you want to take care of the guy make sure he's okay. Yeah. And let him know that, Hey, uh, that's yeah. sorry about that. Yes. Without a doubt. Um, is there also probably a better, ch- this is weird, but there's probably a better chance of that guy getting booked again in the future. I mean, Hey, you took one for the team there. We didn't. Well, Mike was Mike was used whenever we needed guys anyway. Anytime and you're on the West Coast, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was originally from um, I think he's from Massachusetts. Yeah, or something I think like so. That. Yeah, somewhere in the Northeast. And we used to use him there all the time. Then he moved out to the West Coast. But uh, great guy, great guy. He's he's not with us anymore. But yeah, he, he was a stand-up guy, and he was a hell of a hand, and he was a good guy to have around the locker room. Did you watch his brother's documentary, Bigger, Faster, Stronger? I've seen parts of it. I don't think I've seen it all the way through. I have seen parts of it, though. He's got a new one about uh, drug addiction prescriptions um, that you should maybe check out. 
anyway, uh, let's talk about this. Um, he had, he being Perry Saturn had a run in the hardcore division and did some stuff on screen, uh, with Terry Runnels, you know, recently, uh, not recently, but also feuded for like the, um, European title, but never really went on to do much outside of the moppy thing, I think. So can you kind of talk us through what sidelined him? Uh, what, what kind of took the focus off of him? What kept him where he was? So verbal skills, it was, it was simply that Perry wasn't the best promo and wasn't, you know, he wasn't, wasn't a good promo. And so that it's a little bit harder to write for. And the moppy stuff was something that, you know, writers came up with to enhance his, you know, okay, let's go entertainment with him. Right. And is that a spinoff of head for else now? That's probably where they got it from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you say they, who would have been the writers? Cause this whole time I thought you were involved in that process at that time. It's post Russo. So we can't screw oh, him I on that no, one. No, I, no. Um, God, I don't know. I, I don't know who actually came up with it. I want to say Brian did. Okay. Brian Gortz. Well, listen, it got over. I mean, it worked. Yeah, it was, but it was, it was simply something to enhance Perry and give him personality where his personality in the talking segments wasn't coming through. Right. So it was like, well, let, you know, give him a prop. And, um, I want to say it was Brian that came up with that. What about, uh, the decision to pair him with Terry Runnels? Don't remember, but okay. you know, it was probably simply a, a matter of circumstance that, That's- Hey, you're not anything. You're not anything. Terry needs something. Terry needs something. Let's put them together. Uh, he leaves in 02, so he's not there very long. Uh, he he tore his ACL. Did you guys let him go because he tore his ACL or because he had substance stuff or because it just wasn't working out? Probably just wasn't working out. All right. Um, now let's get to our main event. That's what everybody wants to talk about. Then we'll talk about Chris Benoit, and then we'll talk about Eddie Guerrero. And uh, since I get to pick, I want to talk about Chris Benoit first. Go for it. So Chris Benoit starts to really get uh, a major push with you guys uh, pretty quickly after he comes in. He's programmed with Kurt Angle, who I still think has one of the best debuts and first few year runs in the history of the WWE. I mean, in short order, that dude was working on top and uh, putting on really, really good matches. Uh, he winds up teaming with... Um, uh, Chris Jericho some, and, uh, they have a really phenomenal match and a lot of people, uh, still talk about it. It was a match where, uh, he teamed with Jericho against triple H and stone cold, Steve Austin. It's a match that your good friend, Dave Meltzer still calls one of the best matches in the history of raw. That's the one where, um, triple H tore the quad and, and then came back in January of Oh two. Anyway, uh, it finished the match. It finished the match by the way. Yeah. Uh, he um he emerges kind of quickly as being the top guy of the group and of course eventually Eddie catches up but to me it seems like when you guys automatically put him in there with Kurt Angle uh at WrestleMania 7 or 17 rather and then he's in this big time match uh, on Raw against Triple H and you know fresh off of um Jericho's big push and he's in there with Stone Cold Steve Austin who's still just white hot you guys decided pretty early Crispin was the dude. Do you remember who backstage was kind of the driving force for him 
Nobody's told me this. I'm freestyling. It feels like Pat Patterson would have loved him. I think everybody loved him. He was, you know, he was a wrestler's wrestler, busted his ass. He was solid as hell. And he was one of those guys kind of like Bret Hart. He wasn't leaving the ring till he, till he had his match. And he was going to tell the story. So he was just a hell of an all-around talent. Wasn't the best on the mic. But uh, he was great once that bell rang. You know, Bruce, I don't know what to say. I'm kind of feeling a little weird about talking about Benoit, so let's just kind of hurry this along. Uh, I, <laughs> I agree I, with you. I don't know what to it, say. Uh, obviously, he was a hell of a professional wrestler, but it feels weird to kind of champion how great he was, given everything that happened. But let's fast forward. Uh, the build happens. People think he deserves the world title long before he actually gets it. He holds a variety of every other kind of belt that there is. He is one of the unsung heroes. He's one of the workers' workers. I mean, just a, a real um, phenom in that regard. WrestleMania 20, he finally gets his shot. He's in the last match on the card, which I don't care what anybody says for my money. That's the real main event of WrestleMania. What goes on last. And he beats Shawn Michaels and triple H in the middle of the ring. Big deal. Lots of confetti. He finally wins the big gold belt. Uh, it is, you know, a smart Mark like me's holy shit. It finally happened moment. Uh, it obviously a big moment in the ring after when he's celebrating with Guerrero, carry me through your thoughts about that match and that moment and try not to let the stain of what would happen a few years later, totally taint it. Can you do that? Well, you know, uh, the, the personal issues aside and everything it, at that time, Professionally speaking, it was a moment and it was a time to, to try something else. And Chris had obviously worked really hard to, to attain that that stardom and get where he was. So, like you say, I, I think to a lot of people it was, yeah, finally, you know, we, we, they did something right. Because <laughs> God knows everything else we did, else we did was wrong. Um, but it was... It was just a culmination, you know, right place, right time. And it was time to make the move. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, you get into real life and real life happens. And it's just a damn shame. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible tragedy that I don't think that words can even express the, the, the sorrow and the tragedy of, of everything that took place with with him later on in life. So I think everybody knows that story and, and we can go on from there and, and let's, let's get to the, to me, the, the one that emerged we'll get there. Of, the, of the biggest. Got, let me ask a couple. Okay. More go questions. ahead. Ask your questions. So Benoit, uh, loses the belt that summer to Randy Orton. Uh, so he wins at no four loses it at SummerSlam to Randy Orton. This is right around the time that they're about to do the whole evolution turn on Randy Orton, the thumbs down thing. Well, no, I guess that's, yeah, that's right. Thumbs down with triple H. Um, why did the belt come off of Benoit so quickly? That's not that quick. I get that, but he never holds it again in that regard. And, um, it's not that long of a run, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's only like five months, maybe a lot of guys held it for, Two weeks, but, you know, I, I get, but here, it, here's it, my he had quick. a run with it. it. It was time to change. It was Randy coming up and doing something different. 
But for the belt not to go back, well, did you guys not consider? Don't give me the shrug. Well, was he? <laughs> was he not? Why do some guys get more opportunities than others? Did he? Not it depends get, on what they draw. It depends on that's fan what I interest. To go it depends to. on merchandise sales. It, it depends on how many tickets are purchased to see them when they're the only featured name on there. There's a ton of reasons. So the question is, and I think you just answered it. And I just want you to be clear about it. Benoit wasn't the draw that you guys hoped he would be with the chip, with the belt. I don't think so. No, I don't think that he was as big of a draw as, you know, predecessors or those that came after. So no, I don't think he was. So do you think it was Vince kind of caving to what the smart Mark fans wanted when they, when they did no, the crowning he, he, moment at WrestleMania? He didn't cave to anything. He had a feeling that here's a guy with some momentum. Let's see what he, Let's can, do. See what he can do. And, and so when it, when it doesn't work. He goes back to his original thinking and when it didn't work, let's try something else. Yeah. And he tried something else for Randy Orton. I mean, he was definitely in star building mode at the time and he gave a shot to Benoit. So then he gave a shot to Orton. Obviously it stuck with Orton more so than Benoit. Um, I can tell by the way you're trying to move on. You don't want to talk about anything else with Benoit. Can we talk about it? Can we talk about it another time? Or is that something you never want to talk about on the show? I'm not really that comfortable talking about it. Okay. Well, let's talk about, uh, I'm, I'm just going to give you a pass on that. Everybody's going to bust my balls on Twitter, but I get it. Let's talk about it. You Eddie know what? Guerrero. It's history and, and that's what it is. And you know, a lot of it was very personal to me real, real quick. Um, cause I don't know if we're ever going to talk about it again, so I can't let it just go. When did you guys know what? Come on. You're doing the tribute show for Benoit. You find out the bad news. He no shows pay per view. You don't know what's going on. You find out the next day something bad happened. I think you guys found out on Monday. And then somewhere in the middle of the show, you realize oh, in the shit. last half hour of the show. Okay. Do you remember like when you get that call? Is it just like a punch in the stomach? Your heart's in your throat. What the hell? kind of indescribable i mean it, it's yeah i mean wor- words that one's that's hard to put into words but were, yeah. were you panicked embarrassed uh, well, shock yeah i mean it, it's just absolute shock yeah. you know you're dealing with a tragedy and then the tragedy turns to just sheer horror. Right. And the unthinkable is, you know, and, and frankly, didn't have, didn't even have all the details other than, you know, what we did have. And, and it just was, yeah, just horror, horrible, 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 horrible. But yeah, shock. Um, do you think he's in the observer hall of fame? Do you think he should be in that? I don't know. I don't know what the hell constitutes an observer hall of fame. So, well, but I, I, I obviously he's, he's can't not, be in he's w- not, he'll never be in the WWE. Hall of course of not. But I mean, if there was a, a non publicly traded hall of fame, just based on the body of work. What do you get in? Or it's, would that hard, keep it's, him out? it's hard. It's hard to include 
someone who was capable of doing what what he did. Right. Um, you have to, I think, being human beings, um, having children, it's unthinkable, and it's just um, if I had a vote, I would I would never have him a part of anything. You were friends with him before. Um, did he know your family? Yeah, yeah, I did. Was that in, in my head? He would have been somebody who would have been really nice to the kids and all that. Was that just a absolutely whole weird awesome? Deal? Absolutely awesome. And my my children loved him, and I loved him. Did you ever have to have an, a conversation with them about what really happened? A very short conversation. They were young, thank God, and um, didn't so, really understand. So I was thankful. I'm thankful for that. Yeah. I don't know if. Uh, well, I'm old, and and I don't understand. So. Yeah. Um, I don't either. Um, but but try having that conversation, you know, with your kids about someone that they looked up to, and. worshiped and who had treated them personally very well and to explain that to them is 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 uh the shits it's a tough deal yeah it is it sucks really does man let's talk about something fun let's talk about latino heat uh eddie guerrero man really came into his own uh but he would have some problems along the way too so let's talk about some good and some bad now let's start with the good uh not too long after he debuts you know, he's sidelined for a long time. I mean, I guess his first match. First he's, match. First match, he's hurt. And then it's time for, you know, him to rehab that. And when he comes back, he's paired with China, which I think, you know, I'd like for you to kind of spend a little time on. Because China at the time was really a pretty big damn star with the WWE. But he's got to feel like, holy shit, I just jumped for this. I'm working with a woman now. And she's a big star. And I'm trying to get myself over there. And. You know, because in WCW, not too long before this, they had Disco Inferno losing to Miss Jackie. And, you know, now he's got to feel like, ah, is this really what I jumped for? So let me get this straight. You're comparing Eddie Guerrero to Disco Inferno. I'm saying. You just compared Eddie Guerrero to Disco Inferno. I compared the situation. Because well, I you just got... compared the Honky Tonk Man situation and Ric Flair. Well, that's different. I'm not going to let you disparage. I'm not going to let you disparage the name of Eddie Guerrero. I'm not. But you guys programmed him with a woman who had been beating men from Jeff Jarrett on down the line. Who was one of the hottest attractions in the company. She was. But what I'm saying is, if you in know Playboy she's a, magazine on the cover. Yes. My question is, he is going to be in second position behind China. He would not be the more prominent. Okay. Glad you bring that up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you. Eddie Guerrero's viewpoint. So, yes, I am going to give you how someone else felt about that. This isn't rumors and innuendo. This is as shared to me from Eddie. Okay. Eddie took it and said, hey, I'm going to make it the best I can. And went out and every single night stole the show. With Mamacita and the roses and the looks and the innuendo and the and the different little things, the the eyes that they had at each other, they clicked. And Eddie went out and stole the show every single 
night and did it to prove a point because he said everybody looked at it just like you said, that he's second banana. And he went out to show that, hey, is a package and that Eddie Guerrero can do anything. And that's how he looked at it. And that's how he did it. And I think that a lot of people, you know, you talk about the, the box of gimmicks. So when we were sitting there and we reached into the box of gimmicks and we pulled out and we said, hey, let's have a, a Mexican guy with a, a big jacked up girl. Um, you know, both of those talents, China and Eddie, made that. They made it work and made it red hot. And it was some of the most entertaining stuff on the program at the time because of the attitude Eddie had, because of the attitude China had. They both went into it just wholeheartedly, and I thought it was great. And Eddie thought it was great. And Joni thought it was great. They enjoyed the hell out of it. So he gets it over and uh, does a really good job with it. Uh, Goes on to uh, do some mid-card stuff. I'm glossing over some stuff. We'll probably spend more time on Eddie another time. But I want to get to um, some bad and then some much better. He develops a painkiller addiction. I believe he wrecked his car driving a crazy speed on New Year's Eve 1999 back when he's with WCW. Supposedly, rumors and innuendo would lead you to believe he developed a painkiller problem and um, was sent to rehab by you guys in 2001. And then comes back and gets arrested for DUI in November of that year. And then is cut loose. Do you remember what all happened then and kind of how that was shaken out? Yeah. Eddie showed up to a, a television taping, um, messed up on pills. He was incoherent. He was slurring his words. He was, um, he was impaired. And, uh, some of the other guys, came to us and told us that Eddie was impaired. And we went and talked to him. He was obviously impaired. He admitted to being impaired and we sent him off and I believe we sent him to rehab right there. And then that was when he got out of rehab, he had the incident with the, the car. He was either drunk or, or on other medications or whatever the hell else he was on and let him go. No, simply a, a case of ascended rehab, and then he screwed up after he got out of rehab, and it wasn't working, man. Just wasn't working. So he goes after that and works uh, independence, and really makes an impact. He works for Ring of Honor and some of their early shows uh, in the infancy of Ring of Honor, and even works for Ian Rotten uh, in IWA Mid South and. Uh, has spent some time on the Indies and kind of reproves himself. Are you guys keeping tab? So when you let him go, is it go get your shit together and I'll give you a chance to come back because that's always kind of been the MO or does somebody say, Hey man, watch this independent tape that we just got. Well, first of all, I, I can't think of anybody that's ever been, you know, hey, the door's shut. It's locked. The key's thrown away. Besides the Jeff Jarrett. No, actually, with Jeff Jarrett too. I, the door's probably open there too. Uh, wow, that wouldn't that wouldn't shock me at all. Huh. Um, please, stranger things have happened. Well, you know, you know. I mean, well, you, you know, know, Warrior, Warrior, Bruno. You can go right on down the list. Um, but as far as Eddie, it, it was you know get your stuff together, and the door's always open. And Eddie going out doing his stuff, 
I I don't remember him working for any of those guys. We were busy doing our stuff. I did keep in touch with Eddie, just making sure he was okay. Right. And, you know, trying to stay on the, the straight and narrow. And the time came when, you know what, let's try this again. Yeah, so you brought him back uh, in April of '02, and uh, it's not long, and he starts uh, doing some tagging with Chavo, and then um, with Tajiri, he wins you know another round of mid card belts, uh, and and then February of 2004, uh, he is in a match that most people thought they would never see: the Unstoppable Monster, the Beast Incarnate. Brock Lesnar is headlining a pay per view for the belt. And I think it's San, San Francisco. Francisco, Cal Palace. Yes. And one of the more interesting finishes ever, maybe tainted a little bit by Goldberg interfering, but it certainly set up uh, for one of the better moments in WWE history at the time. Carry me through the pitch to make him the guy after you started this conversation by saying, he's so little. <laughs> and now he's going to be the monster Brock Lesnar. Whose idea is this? Who's campaigning for it? Who's pushing? And who finally twists Vince's arm and says, okay, I'll do it. Okay. Might've been me. Uh, <laughs> I am. Uh, and I was, and I, I am to this day. I was a huge Eddie Guerrero fan. I grew, I was born in El Paso, grew up in Houston, I've always been been a part of a Hispanic community. My best friend was Mexican growing up. And, you know, it's a different culture. But I was raised in it. Right. So I, I understood that culture. And I was um, in El Paso. Eddie's father, Gory, was a promoter. And it just, you know, I was... Friends with his his brother Chavo, um, for years and years, and, and Chavo and my brother were best of friends, and Hector is his brother. I good friends. I, I love the Guerrero family, man. Uh, first family of wrestling, and it was here. Here's this guy that's smaller, you know, the smallest guy on the on the card, if you will. But like I said before, the biggest heart, the most fire biggest personality and there was always a push for well let's let's you know do something for the hispanic community well eddie was a star he happened to be hispanic right and it was a way to push it to say well hey we got a hispanic star (laughs) you know this guy can do great for the hispanic community knowing all along that eddie was just a great star for so, every community. Yeah. And uh, I think everybody thought I was crazy. I think everybody thought that Vince would puke it up and and not, you know, not be behind it at all because he's so tiny. But um, Vince tried it on. And... And bought into it. And then, you know, after a while, it, it was it was almost as if, you know, it was it was Vince and I that were the ones championing, championing it, championing it to everyone else. And I just saw I saw there was something special about Eddie Guerrero 
that he was he was a very unique personality and he was larger than life and it was like if you're going to do this let's do it on the west coast let's do it in a hispanic community let's do it in san diego let's do it in san francisco someplace where that community is going to have someone to rally behind and happened to be san francisco was coming up brock was leaving why not so vince was willing to to roll those dice and take the gamble on eddie guerrero and we did and i dare say that it worked out pretty good but then you know from there you, you get into what cemented you know two careers were really made right after that because you have Eddie Guerrero as a champion and he's a he's a babyface champion and at the same time we've got John Layfield we're doing you know the brand split and all this stuff and we've got these guys coming up and we're trying to come up with something for Layfield <coughs> Layfield and uh, Ron Simmons were splitting up as a tag team came up with the JBL character Phenomenal. One of the most underrated characters in the history of wrestling. So the, the, the idea behind the JBL character was John Layfield in real life was also a successful investment banker. Great with stocks and um, done very well with his money and smart as a whip. You know, he's, he's the kind of guy that gets up four o'clock in the morning and reads every newspaper that there is and, and is... Uh, Got a great education, reads up, knows everything there is to know about whatever it is he's studying. Um, history guy. And at the time, George Bush was, you know, going, you see him down on the border and his, in his little windbreaker and everything. And, and people were viewing George Bush as this heel. And we thought, well, hell, Layfield's real deal. I mean, that's, if, if Bush were, about you know a foot taller and all you know about another 150 pounds heavier he'd be john layfield right and so we just turned the volume up on john and we got him out there and so we we have this jbl character coming along is this nasty heel who better to pick on than the the border between texas and mexico right and you got eddie guerrero who's hispanic and it was just a match made in heaven, and, and they, they complemented each other well. Here's this big, brash, bullying Texan, loud-mouthed Texan in Layfield, and then you got the smaller, mighty mouse Eddie Guerrero fighting from underneath, who's the champion that everybody can identify with, who happens to be Hispanic. And it just, you know, it made, to me, it made Eddie, solidified Eddie is the top guy. And made a hell of a heel in Layfield in the process. That match uh, they had uh, at Judgment Day 04, uh, where it was just a bloodbath. Will we ever see a match like that in WWE ever again? God, I hope not. You didn't enjoy it? I didn't enjoy it for the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm weird about stuff like that. They beat the hell out of each other. I loved it. And I'm sure you did. But I, I was empathizing with the chair shots and, and things of that nature. And after the fact, you know, Eddie was out of it. And Eddie lost a lot of blood. We had to take Eddie to the hospital that <laughs> night. And it was just, 
See, I don't see all that. I and get it's that. crazy. So you I know, just, you're, you're I back see. there, and, and but but the crazy thing is, is they're back there, and Eddie is is kind of going in and out, and they've got him hooked up to IVs. We had to call in the uh, EMTs. They've got him hooked up to IVs, and he's coming in and out of consciousness. And all of a sudden, you know, he pops out of it and starts ripping IVs out of his arm and takes off and is pushing EMTs and doctors and everything away from him out of the way. And the whole time, I mean, he's just pouring, pouring blood and got out of his way because <laughs> I don't think anybody wanted to get in his way. And to later hear people uh, describe the scene, you got Eddie walking down the hall, dripping blood everywhere in his path. And you have me and Michael Hayes trotting behind him, trying to talk sense into him to go back in and let the EMTs hook him back up to the IVs and take an ambulance out of there so that he could get treated right away. Because if you went by ambulance, the... You get treated faster. You get treated right away versus just going to the hospital ourselves. And it was, um, you know, scary. I, I just, I hate it when guys are legitimately injured and... Are going through things like that. Was were Eddie and Layfield proud of that match? Very, very much so. What did it mean to Eddie? Uh, we skipped around. What did it mean to Eddie when he first beat Brock Lesnar at No Way Out? Oh, I mean, it meant the world to him. Literally, it, you know, as I want to say, his mom was there. I think we brought her in for that. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, which I'll get. Oh God, his mom. Huh. Um, his mom. Her brother i think was a wrestler and and that's how her and gory got together but one of the sweetest women on the face of the earth and after uh eddie won the title and we did the thing with bradshaw we we were going to do a an angle in el paso on mother's day in el paso texas where the guerreros were born where they promoted the town and Eddie's going to give his mom roses and everything before the match with Layfield and the ring. Great. I love this. And we get in the ring and we've gone through the whole thing and she's going to feign a heart attack and we've got EMTs and everything there. We actually have her personal physician, her real life personal physician there. Wow. Okay. And we get in the ring and she's doing her thing and, Layfield's doing his thing, and Layfield's supposed to grab the the flowers from Mrs. Guerrero, and she was to feign a heart attack. Layfield does his part. She does her part. She's down, and she was so nervous before she went in the ring. And Eddie's down around her, and we're all going uh, down with the uh, EMTs and the ambulance people. And in the middle of the thing, Eddie is screaming at me. Now, I'm there. I'm shooting this for TV purposes. Yes, I'm just there to shoot it. I'm not there to be a part of it, to be on camera in any way, shape, or form. And Eddie's yelling at me, and he's yelling at her personal physician and saying, something's not right. It's not right. His mom had a damn heart attack. What? For real? For real. So we're doing the feigning heart. We're all working. We're working around this whole damn thing. She's having a damn heart attack, and we've got to get her out of there for real now. 
and get her back and get her taken care of. Um, Eddie wants to fight and beat everybody up. Uh, Chavo Sr., Chavo Jr.'s dad, is is <laughs> in the back. You know, he's the older brother, and, and he's making smart-ass comments and what have you. And, and Eddie's pissed because Mama's Mama's not doing real well right now. Her heart rate is, is through the roof, and the doctor's like going, oh, shit. And, you know, but we've all, we've, we've walked through this. You know, everybody else is working. Oh, it's part of the show. This is all okay. It's part of the show. And it wasn't part of the show. Wow. So we got her the hell out of there, and she had a mild, you know, mild episode, thank God. And, but, you know, it's where life imitates art. And knock on wood, you know, thank God she, she was okay. But it was a it was a tense few minutes when art imitated life or life imitated art and it's like, oh shit. And Eddie was, was pissed off and hated hated me and hated his brother Chavo. <laughs> hated me for suggestion suggesting the angle in the first place. But it was Mother's Day in El Paso. Yeah. <laughs> it was perfect. You, you told me a story. She was a worker. I mean, she was a worker. Right. And it just, she was so excited and didn't want to screw up. And she just got overexcited well, and overexerted. She, she lied. She cheated. She stole. Bless her little heart. Uh, carry me through. Um, you kind of told me a story once upon a time about. Maybe Vince was nervous about the way some shows were drawing in Texas. Oof, yeah. Can you share that story with everybody? That was El Paso, too. We, we did TV there. We did a SmackDown, which was on a Tuesday night. And the border towns in particular, uh, they're walk-up towns. For those of you that don't know what a walk-up town is, is, is we would always call a walk-up town where you sold 80 90% of your gate that day. The people walk up. They don't buy their tickets in advance. They buy their tickets that day. How nervous does that make a promoter? Very. Unless unless you're used to it. Well, you know, you, you get these weekly reports of every single day, you know how many tickets were sold every day in every market. So you monitor these things, especially television tapings, to see how tickets are selling, whether or not the, the event is, is selling well or not. Does that report show you what it was last year? shows you it shows you all the former uh so like you know you, businesses want to know hey what were we doing this time last year exactly. so what were we doing the last time we were in el paso right okay yeah and we are looking at el paso and, and el paso is in the toilet i mean we're just not selling tickets and eddie's the champion eddie's on top give me an idea when you say not selling tickets i know you don't remember just freestyle oh less than a thousand tickets holy shit okay yeah. and you know, people are getting nervous. Oh my God, we got to do all this extra promotion. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do this. We got to do that. We need this. And I remember going, man, it's El Paso. They're going to come. They'll be there. It's Eddie's homecoming. They're going to be there. I promise you. And it was one of those, please just trust me, you know, we don't have to spend all this extra money to, to do any extra advertising. They'll be there the day of. God damn it, pal. I don't you know work on promises and, and trust me's. I work on how many tickets are sold. And we did, you know, all the promotion and everything, but they still just weren't coming. And we didn't have a great advance that day. And I'll be damned. 
they came. They came. They bought their tickets that night. They sold it out, and we turned away thousands wow. at the door. So we were sitting there, and we had you know a big arrival for Eddie and, and what have you. And I'll never forget, man, taking Eddie out in the lowrider outside from the, the back because people didn't want to leave. They wanted, you know, okay, I can't get in, but I want to see Eddie Guerrero. So we took him out in the low rider and shot it. And here this, you know, some bitch is going through there. And it was just a, you know, he, he was walking on water at that point, driving in a low rider, but walking on water <laughs> and the reception was unlike, I mean, anything it was rival to Hulk Hogan in his prime. Wow. It was just incredible because one of their own had made it, had made it and had come home. And by God, they were there to show us, show the support and they were coming from Juarez and, and from home in El Paso and the reception was phenomenal, but I don't think a lot of people expected that they didn't understand the idea of a walk up, you know, Vince understood, but the promotions and marketing people, you know, were we're set to, to no, we should be doing X percentage before we go into a town. And if we have X percentage, we will do this percentage of sales. Yeah, that's a little different when you. But it is the way most businesses it is are run, without a doubt, and it's the way that business was run. But but El Paso was a unique town, and the border towns were unique towns. Is that where you were telling me when he was walking out? There were so many people, you made him do it again. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you wanted to film it. Yes. Um, well, there were so many people outside that couldn't get in. Right, and they just wanted oh. to hang out the back and just see if they, they just could see, to see him. Eddie. Yeah. So he had this huge appeal. And, uh, I think he's on SmackDown at the time. Yes. And at the time, the talk, you know, in the dirt sheets, uh, which is the phrase you like to use. I like to just call it the wrestling observer newsletter. Uh, there was a lot of talk about how well the show was doing with the Hispanic market and that that was a demo that they really wanted to cater to. Uh, and they were really proud of that number, but you tried to make it clear to Vince that you didn't think of Eddie as just a Hispanic star. But very similar to when we talked about Benoit, he held the belt for five months. Eddie only holds it for four months, and he dies the next year. What was the reason for taking the belt off of him if he had this adulation? There's a lot of talk. Well, because because His we bo- had a hot heel in, in Layfield who was coming up. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. If you got a hot heel and you got a hot baby face, are they going to maybe come out and support him more if he's chasing the title. And that was the mindset. Screw him out of the title and have him chase it. A lot of folks, uh, well, he, he, he does chase, but he doesn't get it again. No. A lot of folks, um, the rumors and innuendo would lead you to believe that Eddie kind of cracked under the pressure. Maybe it was because of the pressure he put on himself to be the champion. Maybe it was because he had, still a constant struggle with his former addiction demons and maybe it was just his body was beat to shit and now he doesn't feel like he can kind of draw the line between wins enough enough with painkillers can you speak to any of that well i I can speak to i put him to bed every night on the phone uh i would talk to him every single night um wherever wherever he was some people are not going to understand what you're saying explain every every night he would call me at home to let me know that he was in his hotel room 
and how he was feeling and that he hadn't had a drink or he hadn't taken any pills and he was doing good so that I could hear him and know that he was okay. And he would hang up with me and call Vicky and talk to her and go to bed. Now, let me ask this, and I'm not trying to be that guy. He's doing that, A, because you're the quote-unquote office, or he's doing that, B, because you were familiar with his struggles and he knew that you could be kind of his accountability partner or C, a combination. Well, I'm the guy that was in charge of Eddie at the time, basically. We all had had our guys that, you know, we were responsible for. Eddie was mine. But also, I'd like to consider myself a friend to Eddie. And I was trying to be an accountability, whatever the hell you said, partner. You know, I've been there. I've done the drugs. I've I've done all that stuff. So I could relate to him. I wasn't going to sit there and judge him and any of that crap because, you know, been there, done that. Yeah. So I was just somebody that he could talk to. That he trusted. Let him, that, yeah, that he trusted. Let him know that he was okay, that I loved him. And, uh, you know, it was kind of one of those things. Hey, man, I'm letting you know I'm okay. Thank you very much. You know, and I took that on. Every, I mean, that was every night, man. <laughs> and what then, he, then what? he would call, you know, he'd call his wife and he'd talk to her for however long. But it was always that check-in every night. Do you think Eddie would have been pleased that Vicky wound up in the business? Yeah. Um, did Vince ever ask for updates when Eddie's checking in with you? Like it, when he's the it champ? wasn't that wasn't that wasn't necessarily an, an update type situation. That was just me and Eddie. You know, we talked every day, and that was just something that that we did. I, I talked, you know, I talked to Kurt Angle practically every day. You know, during that time as well. It's just something I always like to keep in touch with the guys I was responsible for. Um, Eddie Guerrero passes away in November of 05, if memory serves. Do you remember where you were when you got the call? And- I exactly where I was. Minneapolis, Minnesota in catering. Uh prof came up to me who was uh, the audio guy in pre-tapes and said there's a horrible rumor going around that they found Eddie Guerrero dead in his hotel room over the hotel. Can you please, like, you know, just let everybody know he's okay or, you know, just find out what the hell's going on? I picked up my phone. I called Eddie. Didn't answer. And uh, hung up. Phone rang. It was Eddie. And I got, So Eddie's name pops up on Eddie's, your phone. Eddie, Eddie's name pops up on the phone. And I'm like going, you son of a bitch. You got the rumors going crazy over here. Everybody's talking crazy. And it was uh, Chavito. He says, Bruce, it's Chavito. He's gone. And that was it. Died brushing his teeth. I'm sorry. Yeah, it sucked. And, uh, yeah. That one was a hard one. That one was really difficult. Um, Eddie Eddie was a friend, great guy, hell of a talent. Um, and you know, you, you you lose a colleague, you lose a friend, and that one was just 
the shits. Um, you don't want to believe it. And it was, you know, man, it, you know, it happened. It was over. It's gone. It's like, shit. Yeah, I don't know what to say. It just, um, well, it's horrible, horrible, horrible. Dude, what a downer this is. Yeah, I didn't mean to but, end on but, a bad note. But, you know, I, I look at it like knowing Eddie. I, I'm going to tell you, okay, let, let, let's flip backwards. One of, one of Eddie's last uh, pay-per-views was in Houston against Batista. And I'm sitting in the crowd. And Batista was a champion. And Eddie and, and Batista are nose-to-nose in the ring. And I'm, I'm sitting in the hard camera section. There's guys uh, behind me. And these two guys talking. And one guy says, the other guy says, So, you mean to tell me that little guy was the heavyweight champion? And the other guy says, he goes, yeah. He says, well, in a real fight, that little guy would kick that big guy's ass. That was the R of Eddie Guerrero. He made you believe. He made you believe because Eddie believed. And, you know, you, you, you talk about great Eddie Guerrero stories. Eddie Guerrero tried to take Kurt Angle down backstage after, <laughs> after miscommunications in a match. But before you move on, I don't know that you know this or not. That was Eddie's last pay-per-view. The No, Mer- no, no Mercy yeah. 2005 in Houston. Yeah was October 2005. Yeah. He didn't make it to Survivor Series. That was his very last pay-per-view. I don't know yeah. if you realize when you're telling the story. No, but it's about right timing. But So but, anyway, Kurt Angle. But, yeah, they had miscommunication in the ring. Eddie comes back pissed off and tried to double-leg Kurt Angle <laughs> backstage in a real fight. And all I could do afterwards was say to Eddie, what the hell were you thinking? He's an Olympic gold medalist and all Eddie could say I know I mean I'm sorry I'm just I'm stupid ah, what the? you know and it was like what the hell am I thinking man um but that you know again that 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 was just the kind of guy he was man he was intense um he he was just full throttle all the time and 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 you talk you know yes about Vicky I think he'd be very proud of everything Vicky did I really do um, he, he'd be proud of his girls, man. And Eddie was, was just such a performer when we did things with Vicky and Eddie, when we did the stuff with, you know, I like to think of the, I, I, we're going to end this on a high. Cause I like to think of the, the fun stuff with Eddie that when we went out and did vignettes with uh, Ray Mysterio's son, Dominic. And what a silly deal that was. Oh my God. It was, it was just crazy. But that, that all came from sitting in a powwow with, with Eddie and with Ray and with Vicky and, um, coming up with what ifs, you know, crazy stuff. And whose idea was custody of Dominic ladder match. Oh, that was your idea. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, 
this man. is hilarious. But it was it was some great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna yeah it was, okay yes Bruce is putting over his own stuff. What an asshole! That wasn't his idea. I was there. Well, um, but if it was on a pole, the, it would have been uh, Vince Russo. You laugh. That was that match is honest to God. Let's put Dominic on a pole. Um, that was not we, we did. It was no. It was not a serious idea. Don't well, they look put at me Judy like Bagwell that. on a pole. Yes, I, I know. Uh, but but it was it was simply one of those one of those crazy things. And we're out in a park, and Eddie is is talking to Dominic, and I did not know that it was just we're, we're sitting there, uh, and I said, "Hey, what if we did this?" And I said, "Just go up to him and and like." You've got presents for him. And we had a bunch of candy from the, uh, like, uh, craft services, you know, catering for shoots. Yeah, yeah. You go out there, always got, like, coffee and Cokes, and there's always candy. Yeah. And so Eddie had grabbed a bunch of candy, and he's like, hey, Dominic, want some candy? <laughs> and I remember watching it live when we are shooting it going, oh, my God, that is the creepiest shit I've ever heard. It's awesome, and yeah. we aired it. That you know, here's Eddie Guerrero pulling candy. At, hey, little boy, you want some candy? And it was great. It was just so. It was on the edge, but there was a lot of Eddie's book had come out. It had talked about, you know, the the uh, child he had out of wedlock in his book when he and Vicky were separated, and. There were there was a lot of a lot of room to play there. Yeah, and hats off to Ray and his family for going through with it. And I prefaced it with, you know, this is real life. Right. This is entertainment, but real life is is that you guys are married, and Dominic is a, is a child here who has to go to school and put up with this. So I understand if you don't want to do it. Right. Um, cause you can't discount the, the real life of these people. And Dominic's not a, a performer's wife wasn't a, a performer, but they did great. And, um, that was some of the most fun of Eddie trying to lure Dominic <laughs> and try to claim that Dominic was his son and, yeah, I had a lot. I had a lot of fun working with Eddie. He he was a class act and and one of my best friends in the business. Um, we've had a lot of fun talking about Eddie. I'm sure we'll have another show about him at some point. But let's kind of briefly run through and put a bow on this episode. We've ran really long, but it was great content. I appreciate you being so candid with us. I didn't mean to linger on something. Some that of that stuff's like. hard, man. It, you know, it's it's real life, and it it's not. I'm not talking about people that uh, i just am reporting on i'm talking about guys that were my friends right that we've lost people we've lost um and that's tough because it's in our business you're around those guys more than you are your own family a lot of times right and so they are family and it, it just um it, it's tough so a lot of people would say, uh, talking about the radicals, you know, it feels weird to talk about wrestling when you're talking about real life, but let's try to finish this up. A lot of people would say that this was kind of the death blow 
for WCW that so many of the guys want to leave and that so many leave at once and that WCW never really recovers and had everything turned the way maybe they wanted to Sullivan takes over Benoit's got the belt. It's a new era for WCW. They're going to try to do things different. Uh, they're going to have some new guys carrying the strap, but then they all leave. A lot of people would say that's like the nail in the coffin for WCW. Did you see that at the time looking back? Cause they went out of business roughly a year later. Would you see would maybe you hindsight see? being 2020, you know, that, that may have been the, you know, the last, the last blow. But it felt like a big coup to get these guys from WCW at the time, true or false? Yeah, getting four great talent. Um, of those four great talent, obviously, because of the circumstances, Benoit's never going in the Hall of Fame. Eddie went in in 06. Any chance you see Malenko or Saturn ever getting their shake at the Hall of Fame? I could see Dean. Just because of his longevity. Because of his longevity. And Dean's, you know... Dean's contributed an awful lot behind the scenes as well. Dean's dad, Boris Malenko, um, boy, if there was ever a guy for the Hall of Fame, one of the greatest, all-time greatest heels ever to lace up a pair of boots, Boris Maximilian events Malenko. Um, so, yeah, Dean's maybe a possibility. You never know. Anything else you want to cover on um, the Radicals or why Shane Douglas or Conan never got a shot or anything else? No. You know, it's timing. And, and at that time and place, it's just the way things worked out. Is this the biggest uh, exodus from one company to another at the same time without a buyout that you recall? That I can recall, yeah. Looking back, how different do you think the WWE would have been had Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit not jumped? How, what was the question? Let's say they stay with WCW. Yeah. Let's say none of the jump happens. Anything change? Does everybody still get there eventually? I think so. Um, how different do you think wrestling would have been? What what would we have expected from Eddie Guerrero had he not passed away in 05? Oh, God. You know, Eddie, Eddie's one of those performers, no matter what he did. <laughs> at any time he, he stole the show he was always do you he think, was always on do you uh, think he'd be in the conversation with Shawn michaels without a doubt i, st- I think eddie's in the conversation with Shawn michaels anyway where do you rank eddie all time top I, 10 okay i can't argue that and i can't argue that you were really candid in this one and uh i appreciate you being so uh, we don't mean to be a downer, but we did cover some folks who passed away who were friends of yours. And I appreciate you kind of sharing that side because it's not something that people really talk about. And I appreciate that you did today. And uh, of course you can follow Bruce online at Bruce Pritchard. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. Anything else we need to say before we wrap this one up? Rock on. We'll see you next week right here on something to wrestle with, with Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.